0: Okay, Uh, we welcome everyone listening to us on the internet. Thank you for downloading this podcast from King's Church. Uh, The title of my uh, short message to you this morning is uh, Show Some Respect. Uh, I might call it respect a bit later on. might change it. I want to talk about showing respect. I want to ask you... uh, who do you show respect to? Uh, do you show respect to uh, your father and your, your mother? Uh, do you show respect to the law? Uh, do you show respect to your employer, for example? These are people that we normally would ascribe some respect to one of the little catches about respect is that we've, you normally find in human nature that people show respect to those that they fear. Uh, i.e., you're more likely to show respect to the law if you see a police car driving by. You know, you're more likely to look at your speed when you see the car. And so there's a sense of, okay, I'll show respect when there could be danger for me. Respect as a whole is, is just a very strange Uh, concept that we dip in and dip dip out of at times. Today, I want to talk about showing respect to God. Because I believe that it is perfectly possible to be a Christian, but to have uh, at times, uh, I suppose, if I'm going to say honestly, a real immaturity of our faith where we actually show disrespect to God. And uh, what I'm preaching about today, I'm very capable of it myself. So it's certainly not me telling somebody off. Because we're all capable of this. And I want to ask you and just give you some areas of suggestion where it might be possible for us, either consciously or because we're just a bit immature, to show disrespect to God. And uh, for sure, we can all agree, those of us who are Christians, we can all agree that we should not do this. (laughs) It's it's not up for debate. And uh, so I'm going to bring three little areas to you. I won't be very long, but three little areas to you. We'll open the Bible a bit where it's possible for us to show disrespect to God. You might be guilty of all three of them at times, or just one or two. Uh, But that's what we're going to look at. So let's begin by turning in our Bible to John 15. John chapter 15. And I've thought of three areas, but you can probably think of lots ways that this could apply but here are my, here are my three areas for this morning where it's possible that we may show at times God some disrespect and you'll recognize some of these in yourself you'll recognize some of them in others uh, let's see how we let's see how we do number one I think there is a, um, a very real sense That from time to time, we can, as devout, God-loving Christians, we can forget who God is. We can forget who God is. Now, I don't mean that intellectually. Oh, I've forgotten who God is. I mean, the way that we talk to him, the way that we talk about him, we can actually forget who he is. So, very clearly, he is the almighty God. He is glorious. He is loving. He is also utterly terrifying. Can you say amen? He's terrifying. And uh, There is a level of, because we can't see him, we can actually fall into a very, very disrespectful pattern in the way that we might talk about him or reference him. So, for example, I remember many years ago going to hear a fabulous testimony. I'd only just become a Christian, so this is like the late 80s, 1980s, the late 80s. And a guy stood at the front, and he was a real cockney, right at East End as he was. You know, he'd been in jail, and he was that kind of guy. And he prayed, Lord, uh, I, I can't do the voice. It'll come out sounding like Barbara Windsor if I do. He said, Lord, I want to thank you for everyone here tonight. You know, he was talking like this. And I never heard anyone pray like this, because all the, my pastors all spoke posh, you know. And he was praying very, Lord, I just thank you, you brought me here. You know, I thought he's going to try and sell me. He's going to try and sell me a car in a minute. Oh, thank you that you brought me here. <coughs> and he said, "Lord, I want you to help me. Uh, I'm slipping into Oliver Twist now. I want you to help me because uh, you're my mate and I love you." Yeah. You know. And you know, it was utterly, utterly charming because that man really had met Jesus, and he really was his mate. So I'm not objecting to the language. but So I'm, I'm, I'm using that just as an illustration, just to start us off. I'm not objecting to what he said. Lord, you're my mate. Because God says he wants us to be his friend, right? However, let's just be really clear. God is not just your mate. Like your mate down at the snooker club. God is not just your mate, like the person you work with. He is glorious, loving, eternal, and terrifying, all at the same time. And when we talk about we're God's friend, we must never reduce that to human terms. Because unless God offered to be our friend, we couldn't be friends with him. Do you understand? He makes the offer of friendship to us. Right? You can't go on Facebook and ask God, look for God and ask him to be your friend. He has to ask you. And God is our friend because he's offered friendship to us. Not because we've offered it to him. Now, let's just take a moment to look at what the Bible says in John 15 about friendship with God. Because it's definitely there. He's laid down his life for his friends. That's us. But John 15 and 13, here it is. These three verses. Greater love has no one than this. That he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants. Now, in a moment, we'll see that we are still servants, but because you have to have the whole word of God, not just one verse. But he says, I no longer call you servants, i.e., you're not just servants to me, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's interesting that right in the middle of that little section, we read this. You are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command. So we're learning that friendship with God is not actually without any conditions. Friendship with God is does not occur because we've been baptized or because we raised a hand in an evangelistic meeting or came to the front or some such thing. Friendship friendship with God has a conditional uh, clause. And we are friends with God if we do what he commands. That's the basis of our friendship and he offers it to us. Jesus is never your mate in, this, in, in human terms. Because I looked at this, I thought, Lord, how can it be? And I believe maybe I had a revelation. I got all excited uh, a few days ago with Jane. I said, I think God should show me something. I said, how is it that God wants us to be his friend and yet, and yet there's all these conditions because a real friend doesn't have conditions? Right? If you're really a friend, you don't have any condition. I'm your friend. And especially if you're a friend like God would be a friend. I guess in all human relationships, there are conditions, even if we say there aren't. But, but with God, you would think there wouldn't be any conditions. And it like came to me like a revelation. It's like God said to me, or like I felt a revelation of it. as so though God said to me, you, in order to be a friend of God... You have to know who he is. Now, let's go back to Facebook a moment. Sometimes I look at my Facebook list and I think to myself, who in the world are you? (laughs) Anyone else in that boat? Who is this? Why did I accept him? Not only do I not know anything about him, but he's always telling me how he's feeling. No, I don't want to follow him on Twitter. No, I don't. Thank you very much. God is not a Facebook friend. You've got to know him to be his friend. You can't know him because someone else knows him. Like your Facebook friends might be. People that your friend knows. And you met them once. And anyway, you wanted to know all about them. You can't be friends with God because someone else is his friend. You have to know him for yourself. And if you know him, if you know him, and really know him, then he's your friend. But you can't be friends with him and not know him. Because if you're friends with him, and therefore you know him, then you won't treat him like some human friend, you see. Sometimes, and I'll get on to this in a minute, I hear Christians talk about God, and really, deep inside me, I'm too polite to say it, maybe, but I think to myself, I don't think you've got a clue who God is, because if you did, you wouldn't dare say that. You wouldn't dare speak like that. If you really knew who God was, you wouldn't. God is our friend. But God is our friend in the same way that we can have friendship with our father or our mother. Or with someone in authority over us in some some way. There's always going to be a barrier. Which says... We are friends, but actually I am subordinate to this person. We're friends, but that doesn't make us equal. We're friends, but that doesn't mean that I'm smarter than him or that I can do my own thing. He is the almighty God and we are made of dust. And he breathed into us and now we live. And at the end of the age, he will judge the living and the dead. That's who he is. So let me, and maybe, I don't know whether I've expressed this, but it was like a revelation in my soul. You can be a friend of God, but you have to really know him. You have to really know Him. Jesus said, the reason why I'm not just calling you my servants is because I've shared with you who the Father is. That's what distinguishes the friends of God from people who just heard about God. They know who He is. And because they know who He is, it changes their life. changes the way they speak, think, walk, talk. Changes what they do every minute of the day. Because they are the friends of God. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's why Jesus could say, you're friends of mine because you do what I command. Not in the sense of being like a servant who must obey, but friends, because we know who he is, we want to obey him, you see. We want to obey him. In Luke 17, you can turn to it if you like. There's a little, little parable. And in the parable, we read about how, how, how servants behave. And uh, I've preached on this before in different ways. Luke 17, and verse 7, Jesus is speaking and he says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now. Sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper. Get yourself ready. Wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. And would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? The answer is no, not really. (laughs) So you also. When you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Sometimes I'll hear Christians use this phrase. Listen to me now. I hear this phrase all the time. God has got to do something. Newsflash: God ain't gonna. Don't have to do nothing. <laughs> right? You don't have to do anything. Sometimes the way I hear Christians talk about God, it's as though they're bringing him in for his end of year review. And, and you're the one sitting in the big leather chair going, let's just discuss 2009. God, I just want to tell you how you did. It was okay, but I really wasn't happy about October. I want to show you, God, that I don't really have enough money. And I want to know what you're going to do about this in 2010, God. God, I just want to, I'm grateful, you know, for all you've done. But I just want to let you know that I'm not 100% happy with how things are. And you're spinning on a chair, on the manager's chair. You're in fantasy land. Because there is an end-of-year review, for sure, but God is in the chair, and you're not. Can you say amen? You're not sure, but you said it anyway. And when I hear Christians talk about God, God's got to do something. No, God ain't going to, He don't have to do anything. Can you say amen? He don't have to do anything. He doesn't have to do anything. Well, God, you've got to, do, and God, you've got to do it by five o'clock. How many of you have learned? You've been long enough in the Christian faith to know God does not possess a watch. He doesn't have a diary. You told him it had to be done by the fourteenth, but he didn't hear you. He didn't have a diary. He didn't know that. We are the servants of God. Job said, even if he slay me, I'll trust in him. Now, of course, God has made huge promises to us. And he has, he has assured us he's going to look after us. And so you don't have to get all stressed, you just have to trust. So that's the first area of disrespect. I think we can sometimes show God, we think we're his mate, and while he offers us friendship, it's all based really upon us knowing him. And I am a friend of God, and the the depth of my friendship is dependent on the depth of my knowledge of who he is. And number two in this part, he is the Lord and I am not. And I don't tell him what to do. I don't tell him he's got to do this and that and this and that unless I'm actually a bit of a teenage spirit Christian, a divine demander who thinks that by whining and glooming and... I can somehow get God to speed up his plan. Forget it. That might have worked on your daddy, but it ain't going to work on your daddy. Amen. (laughs) No. Okay. Here's another one. Getting angry with God. Boy, boy. Getting angry with God. Well, we have some scriptures here. Let's Let's begin at the last let's go to Jonah chapter four I want to speak on the Jeremiah one another time because there's so much in that I'll give you a minute to find Jonah because I know it's tricky look in the contents if you need to but it's in one of, it's one of the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. Jonah got angry with God didn't he huh? he didn't like the Ninevites repenting he was a terrible missionary wasn't he? Huh? What a missionary. I don't think he'd be accepted in the assemblies of God. Getting depressed. Sending his new letter, newsletter back. I'm really angry. Why? Well, they all got saved. I think We need to cut the funding for him. And he got angry. And then there's a little uh, branch that, you know, came over him and the worm edit or something. It didn't work out, did it? And he got angry about that. And on two occasions in Jonah 4, Let's just look at the first one. Jonah 4 and verse 4. God says to him, have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? Well, having found Jonah, now let's leave it. Let's go back to Job, which is just before the Psalms. And go to chapter 15. I wonder if you've ever been angry with God. I bet you have. This is like the next step on from being um, the boss of God. You've moved from having an annual review with God to wanting to fire him. You think you're Donald Trump now. Is it Donald Trump? Mr. Trump? You think you're Alan Sugar now and uh, God is not only up for a reprimand from you for not doing it the way you wanted it, but now (laughs) now you're angry because it hasn't worked out the way you want it. In Job chapter 15, Eliphaz is speaking here, one of the... uh, one of the friends of Job, one of his comforters, and he says to Job, he says, verse 12, why has your heart carried you away? And why do your eyes flash? Have you ever seen someone get cross and you see it, their eyes different? That's what he's referencing here. He says, so that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth let's take a let's just take a reality check sometimes terrible terrible things do happen sometimes terrible terrible things I don't want to say much because I'm aware this is going out on the internet, but just over, just before Christmas, I think, a friend of ours' uh, son died. He was 15. Uh, Jumping around and he jumped to his death. He's a devout Christian family, love God, serving God in the ministry. With little resource, and you know, just giving it all. And they had to bury their 15-year-old son. Sometimes, terrible things occur. Devout and loving, God-loving people, some of them are, their bodies, they're dead, but their bodies are now underneath rubble in an earthquake. That's the truth, isn't it? And sometimes you receive a diagnosis from a doctor. Sometimes you, some bad things go on. And I'm not talking now about getting mad because you got a parking ticket or because you couldn't find a parking bay or because the shop shut as you got there. I'm talking about some of the terrible things that can happen in life And there can be a response on the inside of us that says, where where is God? What's going on here? Now, I'm not talking about the petty small things. I'm talking about big things. And people can become angry. But again, let's just be really clear. That is forbidden. The book of Job is extremely clear. And I'm going to speak from Jeremiah 15 in a few weeks' time, and we'll, we'll revisit this again. But it's not on. You can't become angry with God. The devil knew that it was an emotion that he wanted out of Job, and that's why he spoke to him through his wife's mouth. And in the midst of calamity, he just lost everything. And the word of the enemy came to him. Why don't you curse God and die? And that's in Job 2. And the reason why you shouldn't curse God and die is because if you curse God, you will die. Now I don't mean you'll be knocked over on the way home from your cursing moment. But you inside something will absolutely die. you become angry with God. It's all just crumbling inside. Now, let's bring some balance. Sometimes we can't help an emotion that we may feel. If you become angry suddenly, in some sense, you can't help that. As you become more and more like Jesus, those emotions should become less and less. But but I absolutely agree that in a moment of absolute tragedy and uh, exasperation or desperation, you'll be hit by an emotion that is not necessarily your choice to have it, but it's there. So, So sometimes we can't help how we feel, but I tell you this, we can help what we say, we can control how we respond, and we can control how long, a response it is. So sometimes when we talk about are we? Uh, is it okay to be angry with God the answer is that anger with God may come but we're not really permitted to express such anger. We must deal with it in some other way. Because what you're doing by becoming angry with God is that you're actually accusing him of being evil. You're accusing him of of being a cruel master and that's not that's not how it is that's not what the word of god reveals i think uh, we meet believers who are angry with god a lot and one of the reasons why they're angry with god is because they think they are the boss and he is he's the subordinate that's just not how it is. It's the next step on from thinking like that. Don't be mad with God. If you do, and if you prolong it particularly, you want to hold on to it, I tell you, you you'll just be spiritually dying all the time. Instead, you must put your trust in his word that the Lord is good. When terrible things happen, we have to return to the most simple of things. And the simple thing is this, that God is good and the devil is bad. I know that when in the United States of America, who arguably were not really used to being attacked on their own soil, when the towers came crumbling down, it was amazing to watch Christian TV because no one quite knew how to respond. American Christian TV. Had the towers come down because God was judging America? Had the towers come down because the devil had driven the planes into the towers? You know, those, those dilemmas... Even this week I heard there's been an earthquake in Haiti because of the voodoo there. I don't know this God who does that. I don't know the God who drives aeroplanes into towers. I don't know that God. I know the Bible God who's not willing that any should perish. Can you say amen? And when we hit confusion, when we don't understand why, why has this occurred, you must hit the default switch in your head that says this, God is always good. He's not done this to punish me. He's not, he chastises us. The Bible says he disciplines us. But he's not trying to hurt me. There are times when he wants to get our attention sure. But God is good. So we, must, we don't have to be angry with him. Because if we become angry with him, in fact, we're becoming angry with the wrong person. Because it's not him. It's not often the devil either. Sometimes it's just the fact we live in a broken, busted world. That's why our prayer should be, Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Come. Come again. Redeem this world groanings. Well I've probably said a bit too much about that. Finally a way that we can show some disrespect to God. Here's a real easy one is we can misuse his name. Okay let's go to Exodus 20 and let's look at the Ten Commandments and let's look at this in the Bible it's the last scripture I think we'll turn to today. Exodus 20, verse 7. The third commandment, commonly referred to as do not blaspheme, but let's look at it. Verse 7, Exodus 20 and 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. When I was at school, every morning we would say the Lord's Prayer. And I would stand with all the other kids in our little shorts. and Five years old, six years old, we would pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I hadn't got a clue what hallowed be thy name meant. And uh, it went right over my head. It's like the, uh, the Sunday school. Was it the Sunday school or the school class? It's an old joke, of course, but I believe it to be true. Where people were asked to write down the name of God and someone in the class wrote, Harold. <laughs> when asked why, I said, well, Harold, be thy name. I believe that's a true story. As a, as a five-year-old kid, hallowed be thy name went right over my head. But let me tell you, I've met a few 45-year-old Christian kids where the, at least the concept of hallowed be thy name has gone over their head. So they may understand what hallowed now means. What does it mean? To be honored, set apart, revered, respected. But in fact, when you hear them use the name of God, you wouldn't think that they knew that. Now, just in case, you th- I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about the world. Of course, the world blaspheme. Of course, they do. What do you expect them to do? Of course, that's what they're going to do. But I'm talking about believers. Blaspheming or misusing. We don't like the word blasphemy. It sounds too serious. But misusing God's name. Being really careful about how we use God's name. Uh, I ought to say this, I think this came out in our Just Ten class this week. In a British context, in the British churches, the expression, oh my God, oh my God, is offensive. Now, I'm not sure that that's true everywhere, but in a British context, people do not, Christians do not say, oh my God, oh my God. They don't do that. It's thought of as blasphemy. And by the way, I think OMG is something of the same. There have been a couple of times in my Christian life when I've said, oh my God. But I wasn't saying it casually or loosely or informally. I was saying it because I just saw a miracle happen in front of me or I just felt his presence. So if you are one of the oh my God people, just uh, take note that in a British church context, that is very offensive. It's swearing really. And so you may want to rethink how you do that. But of course there are plenty of other ways to misuse the name of God. The classic is, well God told me to do this. Or God told me to do that. And you think, "Uh, did he really? Really? God told you to do that? I don't know if he did. I remember an Australian pastor who was about to launch a huge building program that was going to cost like, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it was, million dollars. And it was amazing, they were this small church about to take over this big building that was going to cost all sorts of money, and the pastor was saying, okay, now it's time for a building fund, people. Now it's time to sow and sacrifice and and for a while, we're not going to be in this nice building. We're going to have to go into this cold school hall. And uh, it's going to be difficult, but you know. And it was amazing. God spoke to so many of them and told them, now's the time to leave this church. Amazing. And once they'd moved into the new multi million dollar building, God told that same group of people, it's time to go back. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. I recently wrote an article for a magazine. And I wrote something and I thought, you know, that's a bit harsh. I was writing it and I thought, that's, that's a bit harsh. I thought, I need to edit that, calm that down a bit. But the more I looked at it, the more I thought, I can't, I can't calm it down because I think it's true. I was writing about the choices we make in life. Now, just, we're just going to be really honest now. and not to be anything other than real and honest. When it comes to making decisions, by and large, the decisions we make are really based upon, by and large, our comfort. And so, if I'm making a decision, should I do this or that? What I really do is I look and I say, well, which one's better for me? You know, if faced with, I need an operation, do I have the anesthetic or not? I'll have the anesthetic, please. We go for the easier route, the thing that brings us more pleasure, or more comfort, or more money, or more, you know, whatever. We go with that. That's our default, which is selfishness. We are selfish by default, are we not? Yes. Yes. We are. So that's, that's our default. People make decisions based upon avoiding pain, avoiding conflict, avoiding difficulty, avoiding cost. If you knew that there'd been a crash on the road that takes you home from here and you heard it on the radio, you would take the other road Of course you would. And no, I'm not suggesting this is wrong. I've just said this is how humans live. We want to avoid conflict. We want to avoid difficulty. We want to avoid pain. We want to avoid sacrifice if we can at all help it. The difficulty is that it's no good putting the name of God into that and saying, well, God told me to do this. Because very often, the things that we say God told us to do are really just what we wanted to do. Can you say amen? amen. It's really just what we wanted to do. And we shouldn't do that. If God speaks to you, really, just, just listen to me a minute. If God speaks to you, will you not shake I mean, will you not quake? Or will there just not be a little awe and a little wonder? If the Spirit of God, who made the universe, should directly come to you and speak into your heart, would you not have some awe? I think you probably would. And the difficulty is, we live in a church world where everyone's hearing from God. So every week, someone says, well, the Lord told me to do this. And someone else, well, the Lord's guiding me in this way. You think, well, I'm just stupid because God's not talking to me. Can Can I tell you a secret? He's not talking to them either. Not every time anyway. So let's not misuse the name of the Lord. Don't misuse his name. Don't put his name into things. God said this. God said that. Unless you really believe it. It's the classic line of any Christian counselor or pastor. When someone sits down in front of them and says, God has told me to do this. What do you think? Wow, well, what do I think? God told you to do that, and you want to know what I think? If God told you, go do it. What they really mean is they don't know. And that's just so honest. Even in the prophetic in this church, we encourage people to use a phrase like, we believe God may be saying this. Just throw in a little bit of doubt. It, it doesn't dilute the word. doesn't dilute it. Because if it's God, it's God. Instead of these dogmatic statements. No, we must not misuse his name. So I just uh, want to submit to you today. That he is hes the Lord. And uh, he is wonderful and close and he's with us and he loves us but he's not just like your friend down down at work he's not even like your like your father he's something else hallowed be his name hallowed be his name why well, are we all stand up? Huh?